Good morning. How is everybody? <laughs> Surprisingly lively for this early. Uh, don't take offense to this. I was sitting over there and I'm like, well, so these are the weird early morning people at the church. Like, when I say don't take offense, my wife is a weird early morning person. Um, she's in Shelbyville this morning serving out there. And uh, I love my wife and she knows this, so I'm not, I'm not speaking anything ill of her. Uh, I hate waking up at the same time as my wife because um, I'm like one of those early morning, I don't want anyone to look at me or talk to me. I just want to do my thing and take my shower and brush my teeth and get my cup of hot tea and just kind of like, it gives me, yeah, it just takes me a minute. And my, my wife's the kind of person that wakes up and throws like Cindy Lauper on and like dances around the house early in the morning and it drives me crazy. That's you. That's, that's probably the kind of people that you are. And, uh, and it's... Uh, <laughs> it's completely foreign to me. I don't get it. It just uh, takes me quite a while in the mornings to wake up. So I feel like we should be like worshiping to like smooth jazz at an eight o'clock service or something. But um, <laughs> glad you guys are here. So we're in the gospel of John. It's nice to have some space, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> lots of amens. You don't have to fight to get into the parking lot and uh, you actually have room to move around a little bit. That's nice because if you come to our nine o'clock or what formerly was our nine, uh, that was not the case. So glad you guys are here. We're, we're still working through the Gospel of John. If you're new here, uh, we've been working through this for a couple of months, kind of bit by bit, taking our time. We just got done with chapter five, and chapter five is interesting. I apologize to the Saturday services because I felt like I was a little spicy uh, last weekend, and um, and that's, I mean, I'm glad you're here again if you thought I was spicy last weekend, but, but Jesus gets a little spicy in chapter five. And the reason why is he is giving basically a sermon at, a short sermon to the religious leaders because the religious leaders are, are persecuting him. And so he is preaching at the religious leaders and kind of the linchpin, maybe the thesis of his little sermon is in verse 44 of chapter five, he says, how can you believe me when you're more concerned about accepting the glory from each other. He's basically saying, you're just in it for you. You're in it for your reputation. You're in it for your glory. You're in it for the affirmation of others. And what we talked about last week is, is quite frankly, this is a temptation that we all struggle with. We struggle with this, this desire to pursue ourselves, what we want, what makes us happy, what affirms us and how we live. And the problem, with the pursuit of ourselves is, is humanity always falls flat without God. We always reach a, a dead end. We always reach a destructive end without God. So the pursuit of self has never worked. And so that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're gonna talk about another thing that we can easily be tempted to fall into, and that is fear. We're gonna cover two of, I would say, maybe two of the most famous stories in the entire Bible, uh, easily, you know, two of the, two of the most famous stories in the New Testament. We're gonna cover the feeding of the 5,000, and we're gonna cover the uh, very brief account of Jesus walking on water. That's what we're gonna talk about today. We're only gonna do 21 verses in chapter six because it's just a really, there's, there's just a lot of fun stuff there, and we'll talk about it. But we'll talk about fear, uh, the fear of not having enough to eat, the fear of drowning, and I mean that metaphorically, not literally, uh, that we have these kinds of fears, all right? So very simple stuff today, but there's maybe some little nuances that we've heard these stories. If you've been in church for any length of time, maybe even if you haven't been in church, you've heard these stories probably. 
Uh, and there's so much that we miss if we just kind of run over it too quickly. So we'll take our time today. So if you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament. Uh, we're in the fourth book. We're in the sixth chapter, starting in verse one. Um, you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything will be on the screens if you didn't get one of those. And if you have the Experience Community app, just click on Sermon Notes and you got everything right there. You got the scripture and uh, uh, you got the notes right there. So we'll pray, we'll walk through this and um, hopefully you'll find it interesting. I think there'll be some neat little nuggets maybe you haven't noticed uh, before in this part, okay? Thank you guys for being here this morning. I, I, we genuinely appreciate how much of a sacrifice our church makes. It's, it's not easy to do five services when you work here. Um, it's even more difficult. There are people like our worship team, th those are almost all volunteers, and they'll do that five times on the weekend. It's a, it's a huge sacrifice, so thank you guys. Um, let me pray for you, and we'll dive into the word. God, we love you. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, God, that, that, that we have a wonderful problem in our hands at this church to where we have to do five services on the weekend. Um, we also thank you, God, for a little bit of extra space. Thank you, God, that it's a little bit more relaxed environment and uh, we appreciate that, God. So Lord, we just pray that you continue to bless this church. We pray not only for this church, we pray for every single church in our city. We pray for our other campuses, Lord, and, and their services today and the churches in those cities. And ultimately, Lord, our main prayer, God, is that everything we do this morning, that it honors you, that it, that it blesses you in your kingdom, Lord. We love you, we thank you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, two fun stories. We're gonna break it into three parts here, okay? John writes this. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. That's important. Philip answered Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them just to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Okay, so after Jesus leaves Jerusalem, in chapter five, he is in Jerusalem. He's preaching at the religious leaders in Jerusalem. He leaves Jerusalem. He travels across the Sea of Galilee, Galilee to an area near Bethsaida. We've talked about that area before. You should have your little handy map I gave you. And a large crowd <laughs> followed him why did the large crowd follow him? The large crowd followed because of the miraculous signs that he was doing. That's important too. So Jesus sits down on the side of the mountain. He has his 12 disciples with him and he looks up and he sees that this massive crowd is coming towards him, massive crowd. So when we talk about the feeding of the 5,000, the 5,000 only counted the men. More than likely, they were probably in the ballpark of about 12 to 15,000 people. So I'm not saying this to boast on our church. This campus runs about, we run about 6,000, but it's broken up over services. Uh, and then, you know, with our other campuses, we of course run a little bit more than that. But if you ever come to one of our worship nights, uh, the one that we're going to have at Miller Coliseum, I think last year we had about 7,500 people at that or something. That's a lot of people. Now, now look, 
Jesus had double that to come here. That's a lot of people. That's like seeing you know, a show at like Bridgestone Arena or something like that. There's a lot of people. So about 12 to 15,000 people. And again, the reason why they came were, were kind of for the wrong reasons. They came because they wanted to see miraculous works and they came because they were physically hungry. Now listen, Jesus cares about our physical needs. But, but if you haven't noticed in the, in the Gospel of John so far, what Jesus is trying to get us to do as humans is to see beyond just the temporary physical needs and to look towards the eternal, to look towards the spiritual. So he cares about our, our physical needs, but he cares more about our spiritual eternal needs. So if they were coming to him in droves for the wrong reasons, that kind of begs the question, why, why do we come to him? And again, it is okay for us to express our needs to Christ. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us today our daily bread. So it's okay to pray for that, but the, the ultimate goal of the true follower of Jesus is not just for our physical needs to be met. Our ultimate goal should be for us to build a relationship with Jesus, to, to honor him in how we live, to get to know our creator, and so, and listen, I don't believe this is, is, is anyone in this room. Maybe there's someone in this room doing this, but, but I don't believe this is the culture of our church. And I'm not saying that to, to just brag on us. But, but I hope that we come here on the weekends because we're seeking the answers to the biggest questions. Well, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Who is my God? We may know who he is, but we wanna know more about him. What am I supposed to do in this life? How am I supposed to raise my kids and be a good spouse? That we're seeking the bigger questions. But I do think there are a lot of people, especially in the United States, unfortunately, who I think they go to church on the weekends because they just wanna be entertained. Because they just want a quick fix, right? Hey, Jesus, can you fix my marriage real quick? I got things to do. And, and seriously, I think that's subconsciously maybe even consciously, that is a lot of people's attitudes, and that's the wrong motives. Here's what's beautiful about Jesus, though. Even in our pettiness and our selfishness, man, God still loves us. Boy, CSX even runs early on Sunday morning, don't they? <laughs> so notice, Jesus asks his disciples as he sees these crowd, this crowd coming, and what I find so interesting about this chapter is John writes that Jesus already knew everything that was going to happen. He knew how everything was going to unfold. He knew the hearts of the crowd. He knew the fear and the confusion of his disciples. He knew how everyone was going to react once he did this miracle. But he looks at his disciples and he goes, how are we gonna feed all these people? Why? Because he cared about them. In the Gospel of Mark, talking about the same situation, Mark records that Jesus had compassion on those people. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus turns a blind eye to our bad attitudes or sinful nature. That's not it. But even when we are at our worst, and we've all been there, Jesus still wants to provide for us and take care of us. He just wants us to humble ourselves and approach him in the right mindset. So he, he, Jesus looks at Philip and he says, what are we gonna do about all these people? Philip's probably like, why? Of the 12, why did you pick me? But Philip's response to Jesus' question shows just how big of a conundrum this was. 200 denarii would have been the would have been the equal to about $50,000 US today. So what Philip says is it would take 50 grand just to get enough bread to, to give them just a little bit, not even to fulfill them, but just to give them a little bit to eat. We, we don't have that kind of money. 
So I love this. I don't know how it worked out. I'm sure the boy offered his lunch, but Andrew's like, hey, I got this kid's lunch over here. Let's go get that and do something with it. So he notices a boy has five barley loaves, which would have been like flatbread, and two fish. Now, in my brain, when I always thought about the two fish, I thought, well, you know, like some big like, like trout or something. I don't know what they catch out there, but you know, you think about like a whole fish. So the Greek word was opsarian. That translates to sardines. This kid didn't have big fish. He had probably a couple of little sardines. And this is important to know because we are seeing just how little Christ is going to work with. Now, if we go to the book of Matthew, talking about the same story, I find it interesting that, that Matthew records that Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you feed them. You take care of the hungry crowd, which implies that when we look out at a hungry world, whether that be spiritual or physical, that the disciples of Jesus have a responsibility to do something about it. That's interesting, isn't it? And that's why this church not only teaches the bread of life, the word of God, but this is why this church gives a significant amount of our income to journey home and greenhouse and stepping stones and things like that because we are to help people when they're down and out. We also have to know though, if we try to help people without Christ leading us and guiding us and without through the power of, of the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit, that we cannot change people. We cannot change situations. God has to be a part of the equation. That's why the social gospel, going out and just doing things in society, is not enough in, its, in and of itself. The gospel has to be a part of that. Jesus has to be a part of that mix, okay? Next part. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, look at this twist. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus sees the crowd, he tells his disciples, hey, tell them all to sit down. And after the people sat down, he took the bread, he took the fish, he blessed it, he, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, and he and his disciples went and they distributed all the food. Again, the reason why the, the Greek word opsarian is so important there is because we see, again, just how minuscule, how insignificant the things were that Jesus was working with, but this is what Jesus does. He takes things that are small, he takes things that are insignificant, and he uses them to do amazing things. Amen. Is there some of you in this room that he's done this with? Of course there is. That he takes something broken, he takes something that has maybe faltered, something that is, 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 again, insignificant in the world's eyes. So the miracle is very, very simple, but it's very, very important. It shows that God loves us. It shows that God wants to do amazing things with us, not only to bless us, but to bless those around us. So why did Jesus do this miracle besides what I just, just said? First, 
we see that Jesus, this is so important, that Jesus is sufficient even when his followers are confused. Isn't that neat? That Jesus can still pull it off even when his followers don't know how in the heck it's gonna happen. Second, it was a good teaching opportunity. This is very, very important, and I'm jumping down to this blue part. Oftentimes when we are confused, when we don't have enough, when we don't know how ends are going to be met, we either shake our fist at God, we get mad at God, or we just give up on God. And what we should do in those moments is say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? Because everything God does is for a reason. Everything that happened in this situation, it taught his disciples, look at this, this situation taught the believers, it taught the non-believers, or people who were maybe selfishly believing, and it also fed the needy. It kind, of, it kind of simultaneously hit everyone involved because again, nothing is wasted in God's economy. So we need to be asking, well, in this situation, Lord, what, like, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to teach me? And so when everyone was full, this is fascinating. Everyone had so much, they were like, no more, no more. I don't need any more. Jesus said, now go gather up the 12 baskets and there's, there's gonna be extra. There's gonna be a lot of leftovers. Why? Well, one, the 12 baskets symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. So at this point, the gospel, or Jesus was not teaching people besides Jews at this point yet. But what he was saying to his people at this point was he was saying, all of you, I'm going to take care of you. None of you are going to be left out. You're all going to be fulfilled. So the 12 baskets symbolized basically all of the Jewish people. We also see that there is leftovers, which means Jesus is not just enough, Jesus is more than enough. There's an abundance, and that he produces food that always endures. I didn't say this at the services last night, but it's kind of interesting. If you go into the book of Revelation, there are trees that line this, this river of life that goes into the throne, and it says that the trees produce all kinds of different fruit, and then it sustains us forever. I just find that really, really interesting, that Jesus produces a spiritual fruit in heaven, a literal, uh, literal fruit, literal food, that, in, that sustains us, endures us uh, forever. Now, if you're new here, I, I feel like we're a church that kind of, we kind of pride ourselves on hard topics and, and honest discussion. If you're in this room, I bet, even if you're a strong believer, I bet there has been times in your life when you have prayed for basic needs and felt like those weren't met. Well, what do we do in those times? Well, Jesus said that we are to seek first the kingdom of God, and if we do that, everything will, also, will, will be added to us. The question is, do we trust and believe that God knows what we need even more than what we think we need? And now I know that to live, we need food, we need water, we need shelter, we need things like that. But there are people in the world right now that do not have those basic necessities. And we can sit back in our confusion and say, well, why would God allow this to happen? Now, I don't have all the answers for that, but I do trust God. And I know that maybe in these people's poverty, in these people's lack of having nice things, that that might make them even closer to God and sustain them spiritually. And though they may die of hunger, they will wake up in paradise. Now, someone in this room may go, Corey, that's crazy. Listen, I've been to Africa many, many times. I think six or seven times I've been to Africa, spent a lot of time there. We have a, we have a, our church has a home there, and, and I've spent much, much time in, in East Africa. 
When you go to East Africa, you will go to villages where, I kid you not, most people don't have, the kids don't have clothes to wear, um, poverty in a, in a level that most people have never seen poverty. You know what they have that we don't have though? Most of them are very content. You come over to the United States where we have everything and we're the most miserable lot on planet Earth right now. Broken as heck and lost as heck. You know about 50% of all Africans claim to be Christians. In the United States, we are declining in Christianity at a rapid rate and it's funny because we have every single luxury. Maybe God knows that if some people had the luxuries that we have here, that they wouldn't be so dependent on him. And again, God is trying to think, get us to think more about the eternal than just the temporary. It's funny, whenever we go to Africa and I, I go with people from, from the church, the first time people go, they're all like, man, I just wish I could bring all these kids home with me. And I just say, why? You'd ruin them. Seriously, they're content over there. They're content kicking around a ball of trash that they call a soccer ball, but they're happy. They smile, they have joy. And though they may not have enough food in their belly, they have something that's going to last forever over there. It's pretty amazing to see. So this is a, a kind of weird twist. It says that the people wanted to take Jesus by force to make him king. They wanted to force him to be a king. And so the reason why, two reasons, one, Jesus provided for their physical needs. Can you imagine a group of people who would put someone in leadership just because they got handouts? And so they wanted to put Jesus into a position of leadership because it fed their belly. The other reason, so again, if you're in this room and you're like, yeah, man, get those liberals. Well, let me get those right-wingers too. The other group of people wanted him to be king just because they would come and he would knock over a liberal government. And both are wrong, both are wrong. Jesus didn't come just to make sure that we were entitled and got all the, the free stuff we wanted. Jesus also didn't come to overthrow a liberal government. Jesus came to overthrow the sinful heart of man. That's why he came. And so people get upset when we say those kinds of things, but Jesus made it very, very clear he wasn't here to be a politician. So when we worship Jesus out of political advantage, when we worship Jesus out of what can I get for free out of him, we are worshiping Jesus incorrectly. We should be worshiping Jesus just because of who he is and because we want to have a relationship with him. I'm sorry, man, that was offensive. At eight o'clock in the morning, what are we doing here, Corey? Let's, no, some of that spice rolled over from last week. Let's finish this up, I'm so sorry. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three to four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it's I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board. And at once, look at that, the boat was at the shore where they were heading. Very, very quick that John goes through this account, but there's a lot in here. So after Jesus and the 12 feed all that massive crowd, they, they, they do this miraculous work and see all these people be fed. The disciples hop in a boat. They're gonna go across back over the Sea of Galilee, 
but Jesus is gonna get some alone time. He's gonna dip out for a little bit, he's gonna pray, he's gonna talk to God the Father, he's probably just gonna get some, some, some space away from the crowd. Now, a couple of, several of, these 12 disciples were experienced fishermen, and they had probably been across the sea hundreds if not thousands of times. This was nothing new to them to go across the sea, the, the sea probably not even at night, so they, they weren't worried about it. But when they got three to four miles out, that's a long ways, it says that the wind started to pick up, that the sea started to churn, the weather became very, very violent, very, very unstable. Now, this is interesting. Look at this. So John records that they rode out about three to four miles. Let's just say somewhere in the middle, three and a half miles. That would have been exactly in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is seven miles from east to west. So they would have been right at the center of this in more than likely the deepest part, which 150 feet is not super deep for a, for a lake or a sea, but it's it, still deep enough for me. And so 150 feet, it would have been the deepest part. It would have been right in the middle. The storms would have been raging. And these men would have found themselves in a, in a very scary position. And, and again, rightfully so that they were a little scared. But here's the thing. Jesus knew that his followers were having an issue with fear. Man, I hope, gosh, I hope we hear this this morning. That his followers were having an issue with fear and faith. So I believe this scenario was predestined to happen before any of these men were born. That Jesus was setting up a scenario to teach them a lesson about fear and faith. And so here's, here's where we find the disciples of Jesus right in the middle of a dark, scary, treacherous situation. And in the middle of this dark, scary, treacherous, could, could even threaten their life situation, what do they see? They see Jesus walking on the tumultuous sea. Now again, the imagery of this is extremely important, extremely important. You have chaos, you have waves, you have darkness, you have lightning, you have all of this stuff going on. And what is Jesus doing? He is firmly walking on top of the instability. He's walking on it. He's not blown in any direction by the strong winds. He is not thrown off guard. He is not knocked off his feet. And the imagery of Jesus being stability in the middle of, un, of, of instability is exactly why you and I need to be anchored to that. We need to be anchored to Jesus because if nothing can knock him over, if no storm can catch him off guard, if lightning can't hurt him, if, if the deep sea can't drown him, if nothing can happen, well, man, I wanna be connected to that. Because unless we're anchored to that, we are gonna sink, we're gonna drown. We're gonna get hurt, we're gonna get overwhelmed. And even metaphorically, not just literally drowning, we're gonna drown in hopelessness. And we see this all the time in the world. And so again, John does not record this, this situation with Peter, but man, we gotta talk about that because it's fascinating. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew records that Peter, he's the gutsy one of the group, sees Jesus, who knows how far Jesus is, let's say he's, 50 feet away, so maybe from me to, to this pole here in the middle. Maybe he's this far away and he's looking, but they can't recognize him. And so Jesus says, hey, don't worry, it's me. And Peter goes, well, if it's you, 
Call me out into the water as well. Let me come out to you. So get this. Man, this is so neat. Peter says, Jesus, if you can stand on the instability, if you can stand in the middle of the storm, call me out as your follower and I can get out and I can stand in the middle of the instability as well. Do you see this? That if we have our eyes on Christ, we walk on the storm as well. We walk on the waves as well. That the instability doesn't get us either. The problem is this, and we cannot miss it. I know everyone knows this. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, people have taught six billion lessons about this, but the lesson cannot be missed. If we will just keep our eyes on Jesus, we will not sink. But that, even though it's the most simple lesson in the world, we fail as Christians so many times. Because what happens is, we lose the job, or, or again, politics go crazy, or there's a war about to break out somewhere, and the sea starts to churn around us, and we make the exact same mistake that Peter makes. We start looking at the storm more than we are looking at the one that controls the storm. And we start to sink, and we start to go down. Very, very simple stuff. So the reason the storm eventually calmed is because they believed it was Jesus and they said, please get into the boat. And so they heard his voice, they believed his voice, and this is so important, they invited him in. If we're to be fulfilled, if we're to be at peace, Jesus must be invited into our boat, in every corner of our boat. That means if we have instability with our, our spouse, invite Jesus into that. If we have instability with our kids, invite Jesus into that. If we have instability in our finances or our work, invite Jesus into that. Whatever the most chaotic situations are, that's where Jesus needs to be the most engaged in your life. But he needs to be in every corner of our life, especially the turbulent ones. Now, here's another thing that we can very easily miss if we're just gliding through this chapter. Do you notice, I'll read it again because it's really fascinating, this last sentence, but Jesus said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board. And look at this, at once, immediately, the boat was at shore. We can just gloss right over that. They were three and a half miles, maybe even four miles out to sea. They invite Jesus in, the storm's calm, and it says immediately they were at the shore. That's neat. But we miss that. And again, the lesson is very, very important. Now listen, when we invite Jesus into our boat, we use that kind of metaphor, we don't become immediately perfect in our faith, but immediately there is a change. There is a change in our location. There is a change in our atmosphere when we invite Jesus in. That means that where we go changes. How we speak changes. What we think changes. Now again, there is a process called sanctification by which we increasingly become more and more like Jesus. But when we genuinely give it all to him, you'll see an immediate difference. There will be a change, and all of that is for the better. It's for the better. But let's talk about fear. Let's talk about fear. The first fear we have is fear for provision. How will we eat, right? Whatever eat means. Well, we can only have our needs met by the provision, power, and grace of God. That's spiritual and, and physical. 
everything we have, any blessing we have in, in our life, the, the, the fact that we have air in our lungs, blood in our veins right now is all because a gracious creator has allowed us to have those things. And in the United States, we tend to be very, very entitled. Well, oh, I deserve this. Quite frankly, when it comes to God, we deserve nothing. We deserve nothing. And we need to remember that. So we, we experience the provision of God by being humble, by having faith in him, and by trusting him regardless of what happens. Regardless of what happens. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. And listen, if you're new here, I'm not... I'm, I, I don't try to get political. I, 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 hate, I hate politics. Ironically, I'll tell you a story here in a second about politics, but we, we often say, well, yes, I have trust in God in all situations. Man, next year is an election year. And I've been doing this for a while, this whole pastor thing. And man, Christians lose their ever-loving mind during election years. If it's not going their way, seriously, and I'm not trying to pick on you, and I do not take a side either way. But man, Christians who are like, I'm all about faith. Oh my gosh, someone that I don't like is in office. Ah, it's all the... Man, like God's still on the, the throne, correct? I mean, like, it's, it's gonna be okay. But we have to trust him regardless of what happens next year and the year after that and, and whatever happens. So how will we be fed? We have to trust in Christ. But we are also responsible to see that other people get fed. What that means, that's both spiritual and literal. So on a spiritual level, we have to introduce people to, to the bread of life and, and, and show them, you need this spiritually to live forever. It, it is our responsibility. God tells us, you go out and feed them. And we have that responsibility. And on a literal level, a physical level, I think that we have a responsibility to feed people. And so this is, Jesus talks about this. He separates the sheeps and the goat, right? And, and the goats. And he says, well, those of you who fed, who, who, who fed the poor, who clothed the naked, who visited a prisoner, those, those, you're my sheep. And so these are things that we are supposed to be doing. How will we eat? We have faith. And how will others eat? We tell them that they need to have faith. And that's how people eat. So how will we not drown? Again, without an anchor, without an anchor, it is so easy to be overwhelmed by this life. Every single Friday, what I do, um, now I have two days off a week, crazy. Um, I had, first, this was my first week, I had two days off. Um, but Friday was typically my only day off. And what I do is my, my wife and I, we, we divide and we take you know, our girls to their respected schools. And I come home a little bit earlier than she does and I, I make a cup of tea, um, which sounds really pretentious, I know, but um, I make a cup of tea. I even froth some milk with my tea. Anyway, so I do that on Friday. And I, I, I turn on YouTube and I go through like all the, the kind of uh, different news things that are going on, world news, local news, state news, and I just kind of filter through real quick. And I'm gonna tell you, if you do that long enough, and I have to make it a point not to do it too long, because you, you will become overwhelmed by what is happening in the world. Yes. Not just the sin that's in the world, but I mean, a train derails in the United States and creates an ecological disaster that may take centuries to clean up. And there's a war that's about to break out overseas and already tons of war. And you watch it for a while and you're like, holy cow. And what we find is this. If we are not anchored to something that, that, that doesn't change then, now, or forever, if we're not anchored to Christ, man, it is easy to get blown way off course by the turbulence that is in the world. So again, we have to ask ourselves the questions. The, the, the question, 
are we willing to let Jesus in to, to all of the different corners of our life? Because again, not just on a global scale, man, it's easy for, for a, a marriage to become turbulent. It's easy for your relationship with your kids to become turbulent. It's easy for work to become turbulent. So again, God has to be a part of all those things. And what this means is this. I thought this was really, really good when I wrote it. This means when times are good, we don't forget him. Listen, most people don't leave church when things suck. Most people leave church when things are really, really good. That's a fact. What'll happen is a lot of people will come in. I'm picking on marriage this morning. I don't mean to be, but a lot of people will come in because their marriage is falling apart. One of them will come in. Oh, I need God's help. You know, my, my wife is leaving me, blah, 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 blah. And they come in, their wife starts coming. God restores their marriage. They get into community. Things are going great. And then apathy starts to set right back in. And then they don't come as much as they used to. They come maybe once a month, every couple of months, maybe on Easter, and then we don't see them anymore. And then I find out they're divorced. This happens thousands of times I've seen this. And so what we tend to do is when we have all of our needs met, this is why Jesus said, it is harder for a rich man to go to heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's a metaphor. But what he means by that, it doesn't mean that rich people can't go to heaven. He's just saying, but man, when you're comfortable, it's hard to be dependent on God. And that's why a lot of people leave the church. And then the other reason people step away from God is times get tough. And they say, well, man, that guy on TV said that it's always supposed to be blessings and health and wealth and everything else. And this is tough. And they leave when times get difficult. Truly having a relationship with Jesus means we don't abandon him when it's good and we don't abandon him when it's bad. So this goes back to our motives. If our only desire in faith, if our only desire in coming to church is for life to be comfortable and easy. I'm not trying to be mean or depressing this morning, but you're gonna be very, very disappointed because Jesus never promises us comfort and ease. In fact, he's pretty clear that it's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. How many people came up to Jesus in the gospels and said, we wanna follow you, we wanna follow you, but I gotta take care of all these other things. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. I got stuff to do. How many times people came up to Jesus and said, I'll follow you, I'll go wherever you go. And Jesus said, okay, foxes have holes and birds have nests. The son of man doesn't even have a place to sleep tonight. Still wanna go? And people walk away, disappointed, because they just thought it was gonna be all fun and games. It was all gonna be ease and comfort. Listen, if you ever find yourself into, in, in, inside of a church and they, says, and they say it's all easy and that it's all prosperous and it's all good, reach back, make sure your wallet's still there because that's what, they're really, that's what they're really in for. That's what they're really in for. So we have to remember, as we migrate through this life, this vapor of a life, James says, it's quick. How we live now sets up how we will live forever. So we, again, we have, to, we have to be honest and ask ourselves, is our chief aspiration to know and be in a relationship with our Savior, with God, with our Creator? And I love what Jesus says at the end of this part that we studied today. He says, it is I, don't be afraid. If we're to be fulfilled, if we're to be at peace, if we're to remain strong throughout the struggles of life, again, it's so simple, but we forget it very often. We just have to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
and we have to invite him into the boat. Our situations will only change. Our atmosphere will only change when we say, get, get into my business, right? Get into my life. Get into every corner of my life. Be involved in my life, Jesus. It is when we consciously say that that things begin to change. And now listen, and I hope this resonates with someone in this room. If we are in a relationship with Christ, if he is with us, if the anchor, if the one that no storm can blow over, and in fact, he has control over the elements, if we are anchored to that, why would we live in fear of anything? Now listen, I don't say that out of hubris. I don't say that out of pride. I don't say that out of any of those things. But if I have a relationship with Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, I don't have to be afraid of culture and society. I don't have to be afraid of, you know, the, the, the Oscars. I know they suck and no one watches them anymore, but like, I don't have to be afraid of, of what they are pushing. I don't have to be afraid of, of the agenda. I don't have to be, I'm not saying I agree with any of it, but I don't have to be afraid of it either. I don't have to be afraid of talking to people who have a different ideological view than I do because I'm confident in what I'm anchored to. And my hope is, is that I can build a relationship with them so they can feel confident and be anchored to the right thing. I don't have to be afraid of culture. I don't have to be afraid of that. I don't have to be afraid of government. Now, listen, Romans 13, I respect and honor government, but I don't have to be afraid of them. I'll tell you a fun story. I, mean, I told you I was gonna tell you this real quick. So for some crazy reason, I think it was last week or the week before, two weeks ago, I was invited to go do like a devotional in front of all the, the state Senate. And um, I was like, man, you must be really, really running low on people who can do this. So anyway, so I, I went and, and I, was, I was dressed like this and I walked into, into the state Senate and everyone was super friendly. And um, maybe I should repent for this. I took it as an opportunity to kind of preach a little bit to the government, but I, I, I walked in and yeah, you're welcome guys. So uh, anyway, so... Um, I walked in and, and I said, you know, in Romans chapter 13, it says that we as Christians are to honor the governing authority. You are my governing authority. So I, I, I honor you, I respect you, I, I pray for you. And they were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They all stand up the whole time I'm talking, which is really strange. But anyways, they're all standing up. And, and then I continued on and I said, but you know, it also says in Romans chapter 13 that the reason why all of you are in this position right now and in this room is not because you got more votes than your opponent, but because the God of the universe appointed and allowed you to be in this room. And I said, well, and I said, that's a huge responsibility. You should take that with a lot of trepidation and a lot of healthy fear that you are here because God has allowed you to be here. And so we don't have to be afraid of them. In fact, the government was instituted by God to keep law and order. They theoretically are to, to, to serve us. We're not to be afraid of them. And if we have Christ in us, we, we, even if the government is, is the most corrupt thing in the world, even if they become like the Roman Empire and start to slaughter us in Colosseums, we don't have to be afraid of them. We don't have to be afraid of war. I'm, I'm, again, it, war is a terrible thing, and we should hate the fact that war is going on, but we shouldn't have to be afraid of that. We shouldn't be afraid of physical hunger. Well, Corey, what if we starve to death? Then you will, if you have been faithful to Christ, you will then wake up in paradise where there will be an abundance for eternity. So we don't even have to be afraid of death. Well, Corey, what if they kill us for our faith? 
Well, man, in the book of Revelation, it says that the martyrs, they basically have their own VIP section in heaven until we all get there. Praise God, if you are killed for Christ's namesake, you are honored, kind of extra special by God himself. But you know what I think our greatest fear is? We are, free, we are, we are, we are terrified, we are fearful of social exile. I think that's our greatest fear. I think some of us would rather die than be unpopular. But we don't need to be afraid of being unpopular either. And the reason why is Jesus warns us. He says, do not be surprised when they hate you because they hate me first. Do you know ultimately the world does not hate you as an individual? The world hates the standards, the principles, and the God that resides in you if you're a Christian. That's what they are opposing. And it is subconscious. I don't think they're all doing it consciously. But there is a spirit in them that is waging war against a spirit that is in you. But we don't have to be afraid of that either. Because he has already conquered everything. We know how it's going to end up. And that the spirit of fear, the Bible says, is not a spirit given to us by God. That we are given a spirit of a sound mind of power. That's what God gives us. Okay. Again, this is not so we can be arrogant. This is not so we can walk around with our chest puffed up and you know, wanting to push people around because we're, no, no, no. But we, you and I, were not designed to live in fear. That is not how God designed us to live. Okay. And I don't know what maybe is in your life that, that maybe you're afraid of. And I don't mean that condescendingly. But whatever that is, it's natural. But we need to let a supernatural God take care of that fear. And we need to lean on him, okay? Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and and maybe you're not a believer, maybe you're questioning, maybe you're on that journey, which is really, really exciting. Glad you're here this morning. If you have any questions for us, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Rachel, who works with our, our life groups, she is up here and she would love to talk with you. If you have any questions for her whatsoever, she, she is not afraid of questions and she'll do her best to answer those for you. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage if you need prayer for anything, guys. Listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, it doesn't make you less of a believer or, or a bad person if there are things in your life that are, that, are, that are causing you fear. I think all of us go through this. Here's what I wanna challenge you to do, though. If there are some things in your life, come up here and let someone pray with you. Let's address it. Let's tackle it. Let's let God handle it. The last thing is, all the way around this room, there's communion. There's communion on these posts in the middle, and then all the way around the room where you see a lamp on a, ta- uh, a, lamp on a table, there is communion. There is bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins. The only thing we have to do before we take communion, though, is we do have to ask Christ to forgive us of our sins, okay? Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Lord, I thank you so much for everyone in this room. Lord, I thank you, God, for people who are, are sacrificially coming early in the morning, God, who are serving, who are just attending. I pray, Father, that as we go back out into a crazy world, and some of us in this room, God, we, we will go back out to very stressful situations. I pray that as we go back out into those situations, back out into an unstable world, God, that is, that is like a storm, I pray, Father, that we would just remain tethered to you And then if we're tethered to you, God, that we do not live in fear, that we live in confidence in you, that we live in your power, God, that we live in your strong, uh, uh, stable state of mind. 
Lord, keep your hand on us. Bless us, God. Take care of us. We love you and we thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you this morning. You're welcome to help yourself.